0: To Not Great with Bethy Squires. I'm Bethy Squires, and on this podcast, what we do is we canonize the shit and shit on the canon. Everything that you think is good, you're wrong, it's trash. And everything that you think is trash, you're wrong, it's super good. Um, my guest today is Zach Mason. Hello. And you are a podcaster and an improviser um, yes. in D.C.
1: Yes. Yeah, and recently adding... Um I'm gonna to get to direct my first show soon, and I'm very excited.
0: Oh, Dip, do you want to talk about that right now?
1: Oh, sure. Um, me and my friend uh, Laura Barber, um, we were uh, we were both DC improvisers, and we realized we had never worked together, and so we were like, "Oh, we should be in a duo. That would be great." And we were we kept trying to work on our duo and we had like three rehearsals where we never actually did any improv at all we just like we're hanging out <laughs> and then she was showing me pancake art which I was not aware of like where people would heat up a skillet and mm-hmm. then have a squeeze bottle and like draw something and so like whatever you drew first kind of darkened to a dark brown whatever you drew second was kind of a beige whatever you did third was like really light and so you could get these very shaded um pancakes and she was like you know if, like um, if I ever have a funeral, that's what I would want. I want a pancake guard at my funeral. I was like, oh, that'd be funny. Like somebody should do that as a show. And she was like, oh, I'll email the head of one of the theaters in town and see if they want to do it as a show. And he was like, yeah, that's a great idea. Come in and have a meeting. And then we became co-directors on this thing that's going to happen in May. So I'm excited. So the, uh,
0: the premise isn't just doing a pancake guard at a funeral. No, it's, like... it's a
1: fun- it's a wish fulfillment uh, funeral. So we're going to like interview somebody in the audience and say, what would you What would you want at your funeral who would you want to be there do you want it to be like this happy joyous occasion do you want everyone to just be devastated that you're gone (laughs) you know and then like the actual show will be um our cast performing that funeral for the person in the audience
0: I really hope nobody wants everyone <laughs> devastated when oh, they're
1: gone. You don't want everyone? I would totally want everyone to just be like, maybe I shouldn't go on. I want there to be like, I want there to be a cascading effect <laughs> across my entire peer group.
0: I think I want everyone to, you know, question their role in the universe now that I'm gone, for sure. <laughs> exactly. But the party itself should be fine.
1: Okay. All right. I see. So everything has its own, has a yeah. time and a place. That's like...
0: their last chance to celebrate me. So it, should, it better be a fucking ranger. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So we're here to talk about Taco Bell.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Go. <laughs> Taco <laughs> Bell is good.
0: Taco Bell is good. Are you vegan? Yes. Every vegan I know loves Taco Bell.
1: Because it's like the only place we can eat like it is really one of the only places where like because everything that is everything that isn't meat or dairy is vegan. So like the rice is vegan, the beans are vegan, like anything that sort of should be vegan, quote unquote, like where you kind of look at it and you're like that shouldn't have beef in it <laughs> is 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 safe for the right. most part. So it's like you can actually you can actually make a bunch of different stuff. Whereas, like, there so many other places, it's like, I'll have side salad and fries, please.
0: <laughs> and then sometimes you can't even do the fries because they're done in animal fat.
1: Yeah. Or, like, McDonald's fries are made from, uh, they have beef tallow in them. What? Because like, they're, like, a pulp. It's, like, they're not real potato. It's, like, re, they're like, extruded potato right. pulp. But one of the ingredients is, like, a beef tallow. Or at least so it was. they're
0: wasn't. really more, like, candle than fry.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like mm. a, yeah, they're the, mm. what other extruded foods are there? Cheetos.
0: I mean, all Fritos. chicken nuggets. Yeah. Cheetos and Fritos. Pringles. That's why they're not allowed to be called like chips or crisps. They're potato, fried potato snack or something.
1: <laughs> I love those kinds of like very like ambiguous descriptions of food <laughs> where it's like yeah, they have processed
0: to go... cheese food.
1: <laughs> exactly. it's funny
0: because yeah I think of orange drink I think of um Taco Bell as being a place for processed cheese food and other things but yeah I didn't realize that their like rice and beans were untainted I mean I did know that because I'm friends with a bunch of vegans but like I didn't think of it as a outlier I guess
1: yeah yeah so it's like and especially like If you can kind of get over any like social phobia you have and you're willing to like engage with the person who works there, you can get into some like deep customization of the foods.
0: Okay. So, what's your Taco Bell hack?
1: (laughs) Okay. So, I'm so this is totally from my friend Dakota. They like opened my eyes to like, no, just do it. Just say these words and you will get great food. Um, So, I go seven layer burrito, no cheese, no sour cream, and then add potatoes. Mm-hmm. and so it's like very very filling i'll do a crunch wrap with beans and if you say fresco style which i guess they created as like a weight watchers diet thing yeah that takes out any cheese or sour cream
0: and adds pico
1: yes yeah yeah so like those are usually my my go-tos but like um do you ever listen to um john Gabris's podcast high and mighty i do not um, he, so he, it's usually just sort of like whatever people want to talk about, like whatever they're sort of interested in other than comedy. So like he'll have Anthony Atomic on to talk about conspiracy theories or he'll have, you know, um, but he's done these, he's done a few episodes with Betsy Sidaro and Mano Agapian where they just talk about their love of Taco Bell <laughs> and they go even deeper into it. Like they will like not just order sort of weird combinations, like take this out, add this in, but they'll get into like, and I want it well done. Like they'll get into like cooking instructions, which I had never even considered.
0: I don't think that the people at Taco Bell are paid well enough to get that type of diva behavior thrown at them.
1: I think, so I think it's a mixed bag, right? Cause I think it's like, I I worked retail for a very long time and I definitely like hated people who were sort of like very assuming about the level of care you were supposed to provide them. But I also really liked when somebody respected my expertise. So okay. I think there's like a fine line. I think if you can walk the line where you're sort of like, if you're very polite and you're not sort of like assuming or demanding, like I think you can kind of be like, are you up to this challenge? <laughs> like I, I have this.
0: <laughs> especially also at a Taco Bell if you're just like, hey, I'm high too. Right. Let me explain to you my vision.
1: I think that's part of it. I didn't even know... So speaking of that, I didn't know that there are Taco Bells that deliver. Oh, yeah. That's bananas to me. Because I feel like part of the experience is getting yourself together enough to go to the place. <laughs> like, that yeah. that's part of the like what's being required of you.
0: And I think that if you have the option to get food delivered, you can... Like, the sky's the limit. Like, especially... Here in Los Angeles, um, you can just get Postmates for anything you want. Mm-hmm. And technically, you can just send, the, even if the Taco Bell doesn't deliver, you can hire a human to go to Taco Bell for you. Because oh, we're true. living in the death throes of late capitalism. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. True, true. And I think, yeah, and there's definitely a sliding scale for appreciation. Like, if a food can be delivered, people are much more excited about it than it maybe deserves to be. Like, I remember there's a an IHOP in D.C., and everyone was kind of like, yeah, oh, there's IHOP. But then it like, they offered delivery and people lost their minds. They're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I can get like, maybe the worst pancakes with like 14 kinds of syrup brought to my house. <laughs> then it's okay. amazing.
0: I want to talk now about the syrup at IHOP because I am not here for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't Flavored understand. Flavored
0: syrups are gross.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yes. A hundred. I, and I remember being a little kid and going to IHOP and they had like, the tiniest table, and like half of the surface area of the table was taken up with a syrup variants.
0: <laughs> I, I love iHop for the just giving you a carafe of coffee and then like mm-hmm. leaving you alone with it. <laughs> just being trusted with all that coffee is beautiful. <laughs> but even like as a kid, I was actually more of a syrup snob than I am now. Really? I was like, yeah, I was like pure maple or fuck off. <laughs> it was very important to me. Um,
1: did you go out to breakfasts a lot when you were growing up? like was that a thing like going to like buffets or any other kind of those places?
0: Um there's a restaurant in in Bloomington called the Runcible Spoon that my parents still basically live at. so I've had breakfast there. I've had every meal conceivable there <laughs> <laughs> um it it's like the I feel like they eat dinner there more often than they cook. Oh wow. uh they just sort of live there and that's fine. <laughs> It's it's like their social club, because they're re- friends with all of the servers and friends with all of the, like, other regular patrons, and so it it serves, like, a social role as well.
1: Oh, that's great, then, that it's an actual, like, place where they know people versus they, like, I go to this place to eat the foods that I'm too ashamed to prepare at home.
0: No, no, it's more like a cheers thing. Oh, cool. But they serve some beer, but it's more like coffee. So it's like cheers for not drunks.
1: <laughs> pitch that show.
0: <laughs> I think that was friends.
1: Oh true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Don't pitch that show.
0: Taco Bell. Back trying. Yes. To, I like I like spooling out, but I also like trying to rein it back in. Oh, sure, sure. If at all possible. Which sometimes it's super not. <laughs> um I am a blood mouth. I, I have Partaken of cheese and meat and for me yeah I, i've never been huge into taco bell but i love the enthusiasm of my vegan friends for it i think
1: it's just such a novelty especially like i was thinking about it and i was like yeah why do i like it so much and i think part of it is like um like i grew up eating meat i didn't become vegetarian or vegan until i was like in my like Teens, I kind of tried vegetarianism for a little bit, then went back. Then in my twenties, it stuck, and then became veganism. But like growing up, Taco Bell was was exciting because it was like the only thing in my suburban town that was open late. Mm. So if you were like if you were hanging out with friends and it was like ten o'clock, like so not even super late, but you wanted food other than from like a grocery store. Or like a 7 Eleven, you had to go to Taco Bell. But so it like I think I think part of it is a nostalgia of those times where it was kind of like, oh cool, we're hanging out, we're watching movies and we want some food. Like let's go to Taco Bell. And so I think that puts a thumb on the scale. I think the fact that they're so ubiquitous, it's really nice for like road trips being vegan. Like I can go with friends who aren't vegan and they can get something and I can get something and it's not sort of like either of us settling. Mm. um where it's like either they have to go to a place that's all vegetarian vegan and kind of be bummed out or like i go to a place that's not and i get like nothing (laughs) you know
0: (laughs) yeah you get the salad and fries maybe
1: exactly yeah um
0: yeah i think my late night spot was steak and shake because i'm from the midwest and that's that's where those are (laughs) There's a Steak and Shake in Los Angeles. It's in Santa Monica, but they're trying to, like, make it seem like it's fancy. How so? It's, like, like- it was, it's called Steak and Shake by... And then, like, this signature that's, like, on... That's written in, like, <laughs> laser-cut steel. Sergio. It's something like Sergio. I can't remember the name right now, but... Yeah, so Steak and Shake is just a medium grade burger place it's like above a Denny's in some ways but below a red robin okay per se um it's still fast food they just have good milkshakes etc and and they're open 24 hours and they're one of the few places that was open like after shows like i would be um going to the All Ages punk shows and then after you know hearing my friends terrible pop punk and like pogoing and like moshing in a group of like six i broke my arm moshing uh this is getting out of uh we're rapidly unspooling already um i broke my arm in a mosh pit of two what (laughs) on stage during a tech like intensive when we were like building a set for um anything goes my sure. freshman year of high school <laughs>
1: <laughs> the toughest of all stage productions.
0: <laughs> we were making the big boat <laughs> and one of my friends was like oh i'm so amped i'm so pissed off i just want to mosh right now who wants to mosh with me and and this was like was there you know, any
1: sound at all like was there any no, music going?
0: <laughs> absolutely not um but they they used to like those dudes would like sort of like mosh in a corner to like a phone, or no, it was a CD player at the time, a CD player playing something out of like computer speakers, like before school. So impromptu moshing was not out of like the purview of like what is possible. And I was the only one who said, yeah. And I didn't think anything was going to come of it. (laughs) And I turn around and then there's this guy running at me.
1: That's not even men moshing. That's just assault.
0: I mean, I consented to <laughs> your it. Your back was
1: turned, and someone was running at you.
0: <laughs> and so I fell, and I braced myself, and then that's how I broke my arm. Was the, the I've every time I fall, I brace myself and break my arm. It feels oh no.
1: like. How many times have you um, broken your arm? Only
0: twice. Only twice. Okay. Once the only time I went ice skating, okay. and then this time with the moshing. <laughs> Wow, and then he wrote, "Sorry, I broke your arm really huge on my cast, and like, in a way that when my arm faced out, everyone saw it,
1: <laughs> so okay, it was a mosh pit of two. Uh-huh. the person made a uh, written attribution of blame mm-hmm. for it. uh did they pay for your medical expenses?
0: <laughs> no, but I was on insurance, so it was it was fine. <laughs> It all worked out in the end. Nice. Um, it was hard, I was in the chorus and I was supposed to be wearing like elegant 1950s wear but it was hard to get over the cast.
1: <laughs> you weren't like so method that you were just like, I'm gonna use like a sling and some <laughs> laudanum.
0: <laughs> I think they had better options in like the 40s. Wait, when does anything go set?
1: I don't know. Uh, music oh, Musical theater is like me. a total blind spot for me. And so when I hang out with theater kids, I kind of just go, like, mm hmm, yeah. Uh, the Mikado.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, now I'm going to explain the plot of Anything Goes to you because Do it, it is all so trash. Okay. Please. Our story takes place on a transatlantic cruise going from New York to London, um, where there's all sorts of wacky shenanigans. Uh, a. Nice lady <laughs> is engaged to a uh, posh git and uh, a rich British idiot. Uh but she wants to be with this lovable cad because they uh made out in the back of a taxi for like 3 hours.
1: Is this Titanic?
0: <laughs> it's like if Titanic didn't it's going the other direction right. and there's no iceberg. Gotcha. But there are gangsters <laughs> okay. and a um, musical review that's supposed to kind of be like a tent revival.
1: Okay, there's so like a musical a whole, within the musical,
0: like uh, there's like a show within the show, but it's okay. not like it. It's like um. There's a character named Reno Sweeney, and she's, she was played by Ethel Merman at the time, so all her songs are like this. And Reno Sweeney has this revival that she puts on with her um, heavenly gals. They have some sort of name. Um, oh, I'm going to just violate some, some copyright by singing the song that they do. It's called The Heaven Hop. Okay. But it's like up in Heaven's Happy Portals where the parties never stop. It's great. It's very good. So you dance around with pie plates pretending they're symbols cuz you're in high school and and dance the heaven hop. Hop, hop the heaven hop. Very good stuff.
1: That sounds amazing.
0: Reno is in love with the rich idiot and also on this <laughs> cruise is a lovable gangster who is like stowing away and hiding because he doesn't want to be um taken to jail and
1: for the things that he did that are probably like like morally indefensible <laughs> like I in think, the line of his work right
0: i think that he's probably some sort of rum runner because sure. I remember flapper outfits. Maybe this takes place in the 20s. Thinking, looking back, it probably takes place in the 20s because I bet there's a whole prohibition thing that gets oh, cut okay. from the high okay. school version of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like the, the lovable cad stows away, the gangster stows away, and then everybody else is on the ship on purpose. But, uh, you know... People are hiding, it's a farce, people are hiding in closets, people are putting on accents that do not belong to them. I believe the cop who is chasing the gangster is also on the ship as a guest of the mom of the woman who wants to marry the other guy. I can't remember. Uh, There is a whole musical uh, suite of songs about Jesus for some reason. (laughs) And in the end, everybody gets to marry the person that they should have been marrying in the first place.
1: That sounds great.
0: It's very good. (laughs) It's like, it's very um, PG Woodhouse, which is going to be a topic on a later episode of this podcast with my friend, Jake Blumgart. We're going to talk about PG Woodhouse. Oh, cool.
1: Were you in theater all through school?
0: I did tech more than theater itself. Um... I still am not huge into acting. I like writing. And then I'm an actor that I can rely on, so I cast myself. (laughs)
1: Like,
0: I know I'll show up, so I cast myself.
1: (laughs) That's always so interesting to me. Like, I have a friend who um, I interviewed on my podcast to talk about sketch writing because she was one of, of your podcast oh it's called like yes because those are the two words I use the most in the podcast mine I just...
0: is called not great because it was the words that kept popping up into my head for the entirety of 2017
1: yeah if I like have...
0: something I was like eh, it's not great and if something was abjectly terrible I'm like it's mm, not great
1: <laughs> very versatile
0: <laughs> <laughs> you were interviewing them
1: Oh, yeah. Sorry. So, yeah, I was interviewing my um, um, this woman, Sarah Fell, who was my sketch teacher um, about sketch writing. And I've seen her perform in like dozens of shows, but she literally didn't even acknowledge being a performer because she doesn't think of herself as that at all. It's like strictly utilitarian whenever she's on stage for the same reasons you said, where it's like she's really excited about writing and the performing is like, oh, I guess I have to do this. (laughs)
0: It's not completely that I have to do it. I think I like performing more than than Sarah does, but mm-hmm. um, it is not like the, my main pursuit. And I'm not super interested in acting other people's words.
1: I totally get that.
0: Um, I'll do it, but it's not my favorite. My favorite is doing all of it. Like I really like um, writing the show, acting in the show, and making the sets like first like making the sets is also a big part of it for me oh and making the sound effects that's why i like doing
1: oh yeah i love that stuff yeah i love that thing you did recently the holiday special
0: oh thank you that's available on the dark web (laughs) because i use grandma got run over by a reindeer and stuff (laughs) i was gonna put it on this podcast feed and i was like "Mm, you can't oh (laughs) It's not fair use. I can argue that I was making commentary about the songs from Anything Goes just now. But I'm not sure if there's that much commentary in (laughs) Cursed at
1: Christmas.
0: (laughs) So another thing we do on this podcast is talk about something that is... There's a critical consensus that this thing is good and we explain why this thing is actually bad. And what you have brought to the table is competition any form of competition (laughs) literally
1: any form of competition (laughs) because it is bad like life is is so (laughs) hard already Mm -hmm. i like i do not understand the appeal like i will like i'll play i'll play ping pong i'll play tennis i'll play anything that is like a competition but i will be the first person to say like we do not need to keep score in fact i would prefer if we did not keep score because to me it's like i don't i don't feel great like winning or losing anything like if i'm Mm -hmm. winning in a board game or something i'll be like oh i'm so sorry like you were really close though like (laughs) it was (laughs) like i I feel legitimately bad if you know in that position and then i don't feel good losing either so it's just sort of like why are we doing this
0: (laughs) yeah i am sure some competition can be useful but i'm trying to think of a time i think I don't like competition because it sets up a false animosity, which I think is kind yeah. of what we're talking about, that yeah. um there's no need for this particular engagement to be hostile and there's no need for I think competition falls into something that is, is one of my personal you know what, this sucks and is stupid is the concept of, of individuality or individuals or a uh, uh, self-reliance, all of these things are just like not useful. And contrary to how our ape minds even work, like we're herd mammals. Yeah, for sure. Humans, humans exist only in relation to other humans. Like when you meet a human who has been isolated completely, they don't even have a concept of a self because their, their idea of who they are is, they are in nature and like their, their idea of thinking of themselves as a self does not exist because you only think of yourself as a self in relation to others. So I think competition is dumb because it's this idea that your, your outcomes are separate from those of the rest of the group that you're in.
1: Exactly. Which is like a denying of the basic reality. We're so interdependent and that's what always bothers me about like, libertarians you uh. know is <laughs> because it denies the basic interdependence of of society like we exist we have infrastructure we have um, you know roads and, and police departments and fire departments and all these other things for the common good and to use those benefits and then pretend like you're a rugged individual even though you only exist because of these things is so baffling to me like and willfully blind yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah like uh even people who like make their own libertarian off the grid or whatever zines like i'm sorry did you make your own toner
1: right exactly you know, did you
0: lay the cable that allows you to chat with your like-minded individualists did you invent the internet? No, the government <laughs> subsidized that invention.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Did um have you read the book? Um there's this woman Sonara Taylor who's a like disability rights activist and she wrote this book um last year called Beasts of Burden and it was about her own sort of journey from she was uh disabled her whole life but her her journey to becoming like a disability rights activist and sort of mm making it a more proactive thing and sort of part of her concept of herself. Um, It's really fascinating and it was really challenging to me because she talks about the idea of interdependence and how that we're all interdependent in various ways. We all need help and we all need um, accommodation to varying degrees. And so part part of her thinking was sort of getting over the idea that because she has a disability that puts her in a wheelchair, And limits the mobility of her limbs, that she needs more quote unquote help in public than some other people do, but that a lot of the things that she has to explicitly ask for as help are no more unnatural than the other things that we already do. Like so she used as an example, like curbs. Like the Mm -hmm. idea that a curb has to be a right angle that makes it hard for a wheelchair to get over isn't any more natural than just having that sloped cut out that it makes it possible for anyone to get up onto the sidewalk like that neither of those is sort of like more uh, consistent or natural or or um, um, required. You know what I mean? It's just that like we were so used to like, yeah, well we'll have a right angle curb because it kinda keeps water from splashing up and it channels rain into the gutters easier. But it's like just as natural to have those cuts out and things like that where it's like she has to explicitly ask for these accommodations but shouldn't really have to and shouldn't feel bad about having to ask for them.
0: Yeah, because the curb itself, just starting out it's artificial, it's a man made curb. Uh but then yeah, I didn't think about the public utility of the drainage as well. But yeah, there are definitely I've seen sloping uh curbs or trenches or whatever that still direct water. They yeah. don't have to be so abrupt.
1: When she was talking about like when she goes to a coffee place um, she's the most uh, dexterous with her mouth versus her hands. And so it's easier for her if the person can like hand her the cup by just sort of putting the lip of the paper into her, into her teeth instead of like setting it down and then her having to figure out how to pick it up. And mm-hmm. that just having to ask for that sort of small difference in the interaction shouldn't make her feel sort of less welcome in society or less able to participate in these like very mundane interactions mm-hmm. between strangers and it really made me sort of question like oh yeah like i've done so many shows in theaters where it was like you had to go up some set of stairs through an alley down some other set of stairs and it's like there's no, you know it it's sort of chicken and the egg it's very easy to talk ourselves into a situation where it's like Um, well, nobody in a wheelchair has ever come to these shows, so it doesn't really matter. And it's like, but they've never come to the shows because they're already kind of getting the signal that they're not welcome. Yeah. And I feel like, to circle back to competition, I feel like all of those things are sort of related, right? Like Mm -hmm. if we set up this sort of tribalist construct where it's sort of like, oh, it's good and it's healthy to sort of like, I love the giants and you love the... I I don't even know another football, fo- uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> like, <laughs> then it's like, therefore we are enemies. Even if it's like 10, per- only 10% serious, it's sort of like so unnecessary. Like I just don't, I don't get it. Like I get the, I get the appeal of like going out and playing sports with your friends. I don't get the appeal of like sort of identifying with strangers doing it and sort of choosing one group of strangers over another and somehow tying your self to their successes and failures.
0: Right. I think that it also, the idea that competition is healthy and necessary in something like entertainment, which is inherently and always collaborative, yeah. is how this particular industry has been set up to reward sociopaths. And that's why there are so many men in power currently um, being outed for being disgusting jerkbags because the way that our system is set up is that only uh, rich people with a sense of entitlement coming into it and a a desire or need or just like a, a lack of, of uh, inhibitions with regards to violating other people's boundaries and like m- asserting your worldview over theirs is, is the only way to get things done done in Hollywood (laughs) is like because you you constantly have to force yourself on other people here it's called promotion Mm -hmm. and it's like it's a small boundary violation that you have to be comfortable doing all the time and I think the people who are good at it uh also don't have a problem violating other boundaries that are more personal
1: oh that's interesting I had never thought about that that that's sort of like the persistence that's rewarded on one level has this sort of dark
0: mm-hmm. alternate
1: side to it
0: and that those people also are very into competition because they think that like if they they view this industry like of comedy or whatever as a meritocracy that they got to the top of by trying the hardest and mm-hmm. beating everyone else right as opposed to having the richest dad and thus the most time to commit to doing this.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so that's true.
0: The The idea of competition is useful for them because it allows them to sort of negate their privilege.
1: Right. Like I'm I'm successful because I must have worked the hardest. I must be the most deserving. I must be the most talented. Yeah, it's, it's like a
0: b- prosperity doctrine.
1: Yeah. And that's interesting because that's totally the like, uh, what is it called? The like the great men of history version of like learning, you know, where it's mm-hmm. sort of like, we're going to teach you about this King and then this president. And then this, uh, and it's like, there's just a string of individuals throughout history. Whereas like they're like individuals are useful as a shorthand, but it's like, I would much rather read about like how SNCC was founded than hear about like how one single like civil rights leader gave a speech on one day or whatever, because that's, that's useful and it's like exciting and it's motivating but like those groups that like sort of don't get their due are doing so much of the work like yeah behind the scenes and it's like and like you said art is totally that way too it's like for every sort of like we're going to celebrate this auteur it's like there were hundreds of people behind them working every day
0: yeah and even in fine art like we don't recognize the work that interns basically do making the art of a lot of these conceptual artists like they don't touch their own work which i can't fucking stand personally like but. like damien
1: Hurst and jeff coons and those, yeah. those oh, guys
0: Jeff Koons. <laughs> from hell's heart i stab at him
1: <laughs> no totally i think like it was one thing like like i didn't um I didn't love Phantom Thread, but one thing I thought was interesting about it was the sort of explicit showing of um, Daniel Day-Lewis's character. is like celebrated, and he's going to dinners, and you know he's a celebrity in his own right in London society. But like so much of the work was being done by his his staff, and they were all women, you know, and they were not named. Like I don't think many of them even had names in the movie. Like they were never really addressed mm-hmm. as individuals. They were just kind of like working you know
0: and now i feel like we're brought back to restaurants <laughs> naturally from just from that that uh, i've been having trouble recently with like restaurant and like cook masculinity
1: when did when did cooking become this like sort of macho thing like when did that become like when did that sort of macho chef thing happen
0: i would say when celebrity chefs became a thing um, within the world of cooking it had always had that because it would it was coming out of you know military kitchens in the 1800s and then it was just a place to go and and make the food um, but the idea of like these chefs as rock stars and mm-hmm. having like you know my knives are the best knives and definitely extension of my dick uh, <laughs> what My knife's cut so sharp.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just like a dick. (laughs) (laughs)
0: You know, penetrating over the night. Violence inherent, blah 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 blah. Um I think that comes from celebrity chefs that the minute it became like a status within the culture at large is when that masculinity also became like a status symbol in the culture at large.
1: And was that? Do you think a reaction to that uh, that form of art or craft um, being traditionally seen as female? That it sort of was like, well, it's okay because I've got full sleeves and like, yeah, I've got all these knives. Yeah, knife dick.
0: <laughs> I think that there's definitely part of it that the fact that cooking professionally is is like a male thing, but cooking for your family or whatever is gendered um, feminine. There, there's like a reaction formation in that um and and the idea as we're going back to it that y- restaurants are highly competitive and you like you have to like keep up and uh not ask for help and all of these stupid things that actually hurt the kitchen but people don't realize it because they're caught up in their idea of self and bro and work and If you're not getting burned, then you're doing a bad job or whatever. Pain is weakness leaving the body, and other shirts.
1: (laughs) Because you definitely see that in, um, like, in fashion too. Like any, any, and in acting. I mean, there's so many uh, art forms that were sort of like. seen as like the art of marginalized people and i think mm-hmm. because for a long time they were like performance. yeah exactly and it was like well no it's okay like i can do this because i'm macho like i've got my i'm i'm like plus 10 macho on the <laughs> macho scale you know
0: you know the place where a, a, a new emerging annoying masculinity and it's Ooh. another sphere yeah. that was feminine that is being uh co-opted by mask i don't know what it is but eating disorders oh and like orthorexia and Mm. and that sort of controlling your body via this like men don't diet they biohack
1: Right, 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 right.
0: It was like, no, you're just eating different foods. That's a diet.
1: No, I'm a scientist. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. No, true. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, like, and I think I'm sure if anyone would critique my arguments about competition, it would be that I'm not like macho enough or I'm not like up for the challenge. And to them, I would say like, you're absolutely correct. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm like, I sort of, I think what fed a lot of those fears of, um, competition and sort of like the aversion to it was sort of opting out of a lot of like traditional, um, masculine stuff because so much of it is rooted in competition. And no matter how like sort of friendly, um, it's framed it always just felt very off-putting and unwelcoming to me like I just never had fun in those sort of low even the like lowest stakes versions of sort of like asserting your masculinity around your male friends or whatever and so I'm I think I think masculinity is like an important thing to sort of come back to like if we're talking about competition
0: yeah and looking at how much of competition how much of masculinity like there are things to realize are, are dead weight within it yeah and, like you can if you want to hack something I guess it's <laughs> traditional masculinity
1: look you're gonna hack something so look
0: something has to be hacked <laughs> it's the 90s okay get with the times
1: that's right we got like these three and three and a half inch floppy disks
0: yeah <laughs> hack the planet that's right oh god i have to do an episode about hackers sometimes zach where can people find your stuff
1: <laughs> um i'm uh zach f mason on instagram and twitter and i have a website dot com for like all my drawings
0: and i'm at B S Q U on twitter and bethy squires on instagram and i still haven't made a social media presence for this podcast so suck it i don't know
1: Bye.